0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. Thank you for joining us at the Mailchimp Stage at the Bossa Nova Ballroom for the Probably Science Podcast. You can get any of the podcasts that were recorded at the festival by visiting iTunes.com slash Bridgetown. Please welcome to the stage Andy Wood and Matt Kirshen, the Probably Science Podcast.
1: you so much for coming out on a Sunday afternoon. I, I think we might have planned this wrong. We were like, we'll flank the guests and they can sit in the middle, but now I've realized they have to climb over us. This isn't going to work at all. Oh, hang on, I'm going to scoot over. <laughs> Don't mind me, Andy, Phil.
2: <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you for... Uh, wow, that was a... I would have thought that would get a... Who wouldn't applaud Mother's Day?
1: Um, there's a lot of orphans in our fan okay, We've got a big orphan. I uh, forgot... Andy's own mother and father are in the audience.
2: Yes, let's hear it for my parents. Okay, thank you. You guys aren't monsters. You can respect the sanctity of parenthood. Yeah, Uh, it's a great idea to have uh, a show on Mother's Day with my parents in the room that's going to be talking a lot about fucking yeah, mostly about
1: this is entirely uh, like uh, I, uh, we'll bring him on in a bit, but our uh, I don't know if you're aware our guest today is one of the authors of the fantastic book "Sex at Dawn," uh, And it's yeah, that's awesome. Woo, why not? Yeah So we're going to be talking a lot about relationships and boning. Hey, Andy's Mum and Dad. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Wood.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah that works that right. works that's never occurred to me. My last name is a little bit phallic, guys really you would have thought I'd have thought maybe during school at some point never, no, never, never came, came up. up, never came oh, up all right Just It would would never came
1: up. is that what you're saying? It's like would never <laughs> would never came up <laughs> Wood never came up at school at no point.
2: I had a friend in college whose last name was phallic, and everybody assumed he must have gotten no end of grief growing up but he was like no when you're at that age no kid knows what the word phallic means (laughs) Uh, no but parents do yeah yeah. you
1: thought at some point one of the parents would have gone and they go why are you laughing sit down son it's
2: about (laughs) time we have the phallic family i'm
1: I'm about to make your tomorrow at school much better and your friends a lot worse i'm gonna instigate some bullying but no uh, good good for him lucky him
2: it's good that they, they have phallic pride. Um, Come think of it,
1: my friend Jim Copulation had a very similar thing.
2: Yeah, really? Never occurred to me. But, uh, I wanted to say one quick thing. I, every year with this festival, this we're here at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. Did we mention that? I don't Just know. Just for our at home audience, um, the eighth annual Bridgetown Comedy Festival here in Portland, Oregon at the, at the wonderful MailChimp stage at the Bossa Nova Ballroom. And um, my favorite thing about the festival, one of my favorite things every year, is I always get one amazing email. Uh, this year it came in the day before the festival. It was from a woman who's eight months pregnant uh, who wanted to get a free pass to the festival in exchange for allowing us to paint on her belly. So she was going to be a human billboard for the festival if we'll give her a free pass.
1: Yeah, I, it was explained, I, I heard the story and I had to be Explain that it was paint advertising for the festival on her belly, not just be in a room where any participant at the festival can paint on her belly at will. (laughs) Because I think that is worth a pass. Like you've got, like you've thrown on some nice things for the performers here. There's a there's a massage therapist upstairs who's amazing, Uh, and you know there's there's people from Facebook who help sort out your Facebook page, and maybe just you know a room where you can just paint on a pregnant woman for a bit, (laughs) just to relieve stress and just encourage creativity.
2: You're making me think I should, yeah. yeah you, you, you should have written back with a resounding yes. How much does one pass of the festival cost you? Uh, it's well less than how much it would cost to pay somebody the less paint on them, probably. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's even legal. Can you buy a person to have painted on? Is, that seems like well, some you're buying their would... service, you're not buying them. That's true. You you're, buying a, the you're, buying a, the
1: you're buying a person. You know, you're buying use of a swollen part of their skin for a period
2: of time. That's definitely not legal also in some places, I'm pretty sure. No, I think it can only be like
1: a a trade goods for the service. I don't know.
2: Do we have any lawyers in the room right now? (laughs) Uh, I'm sure we have sex workers in the audience, this being Portland. I'm sure that's a thing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh,
1: Do you happen to know the legality of belly painting? Uh, No, no idea. (laughs) Uh, We need sex work lawyers. I know they exist as well. Um, Listen, we've got a couple of... uh, We've got a few guests. We've got a couple of comedian guests and uh, an amazing writer and entertainment personality guest and science guest. Uh, And the first one... Our two comedians are people that I've wanted on the show for a long time and I'm glad we managed to make this happen at Bridgetown. Firstly, someone I first met in the Bay Area and a super funny comedian. I saw her last night destroy at competitive erotic fan fiction and at a stand-up gig very very funny uh, the amazing caitlin gill <laughs> thanks for climbing over i should have pointed out as well thank you for continuing the applause this is this is a fun room the boss and over but it is the worst layout for getting people onto the stage efficiently uh, yeah
3: you have to go kind of a long way you really got to move it move it
1: Uh, Yeah, you gotta go, like our listeners at home won't know You have to come down some stairs like you're a game show uh, winner or something (laughs) uh, And then you go up some other stairs And then along a platform And then clamber over some chairs And now you're here How are you, Caitlin?
3: I did it, I'm here I'm doing really good bridgetown has been amazing I've been excited about this And it's happening And all these beautiful people are here This is great
1: Yeah. Um, And our other guest Our other comedian guest Again, someone else I've wanted on the show for a long time uh, The very, very funny Lisa Best
3: Up. I did it.
0: Get in here. You made it. Hey guys. Hey Lisa. We were just up there. Now we're over here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's amazing how that works. How has your Bridgetown been so far, Caitlin and Lisa?
0: Um. Oh, it's been oh. it's been so much fun. What if I was like, it's been terrible, and then I just <laughs> stormed out? No, it's been absolutely awesome.
3: Been dreaming. Yeah. yeah. This city. You do it right, Portland. Yeah.
2: Pandering. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I have drinking all of the alcohol. Oh. All of it. Yes.
3: All of it. Yes. I leave here with, like, five pounds of Portland every time I come. (laughs) This was Portland Five.
2: This is day four, so if the at-home uh, audience needs to know, it's day four of a constant booze fest. I haven't well, gone to sleep before 4 a.m. It is a booze days. fest.
3: There's a condition very specific to Bridgetown that only exists if you eat for four days a, a diet of exclusively free, like, heavy beer, like, free IPA, <laughs> yeah. free donuts, and free pizza. And I know you're thinking, like, what a dreamy weekend! And it is for the first two hours. And then... <laughs> The next three days is just uh, hoping, it, like the donuts just move everything that's stuck in there through. It, things get weird and ugly. <laughs> it's...
0: Well, and there's always activities, which is great. And I'm predicting, I'm calling it now, in about three years, one of the activities at Bridgetown is going to be AA. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I have friends who have gone on the wagon because of Bridgetown and friends who have fallen off the wagon. Yeah, that <laughs> feels right. We almost yeah. killed Andy Dick one year.
3: Yeah. I, I have no memories.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it is like
1: the only the only sponsors in, as far as consumables are a pizza company, a donut company, and a beer company. Yep, that's
2: it. That's it. Which you
1: like do. maybe I don't know, maybe get a salad sponsor next year or some yeah,
2: some, right. some first day, <laughs> Some
1: brown amazing. rice or something. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by a Thai restaurant. That would be wonderful. (laughs) Um, I think we should bring our final guest on because this is someone we were very excited. Uh, We were talking for a while and we found out he lives in Portland. So the second we found that out, we were like, please come and do Bridgetown. And we were very lucky that he was both around and free at the time. Um, He is the co-author of the book Sex at Dawn. Uh, which I New know York some Times. of you have read. New, New York, York Times, Times bestseller. bestseller, very uh, popular book. He's a regular on a whole load of comedy podcasts, included, including Rogan's and his own show, uh, Tangentially Speaking. Please welcome Christopher Ryan, ladies and gentlemen.
4: I'm disappointed I don't get to climb over anybody.
3: Well, there's still time. I don't think there's any. Just because we're in the seats doesn't mean you can't.
1: We we should point out as well. This
3: podcast got sexy fast.
1: Maybe just at some point, the music will start and we'll take one chair away.
5: I would like to
0: point out Matt's organizational skills. I found out I was on this podcast about four (laughs) minutes ago. I was walking over to watch and support, and Matt's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm going to be a little bit late. He's like, oh, you're on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought I was slightly ambiguous with the text, because Lisa said she was coming to the show, and I thought, well, I, you know, what a perfect opportunity to get someone I wanted on the show on it. You always ask me about three minutes before you're doing we're, it. We're not the most organized of shows. <laughs> <laughs> it so is just...
2: The drinking till 4 a.m. thing. That does play yeah. into it. That's been part yeah. of it. Yeah. I did
0: say that we've been eating
3: nothing but donuts. Pizza and beer for four days. I don't think any of us know where we are <laughs> This is
0: this might be a dream.
3: Yeah, this
1: might be. I, 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 I've forgotten most words other than pizza and
5: donuts,
1: <laughs> and no, and more.
2: So this this episode has been a long time in the making, and before it's even happened, it's been one of our most controversial. I would say we've gotten a few people emailing in when they found out that we were going to have you on because of how... uh, Is incendiary a word I could use for this book? Use it. Sure.
5: sure.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, people were already getting uh, up up in arms because of how much this this book uh, flies in the face of convention when it comes to human sexual behavior. We
1: should talk, firstly,
2: what is your book about?
4: It's about ballet. Yep.
1: (laughs) And a lot of people (laughs) are much more about modern street dance in our listenership and... They're like, fuck those conventions, Yeah, (laughs) let's break with those forms. Uh,
4: Essentially, the book is about a reassessment of the nature of human sexual evolution, and the argument that uh, Casilda, my wife and I, and co-author, who's up there somewhere, (laughs) I can't see her in the lights, but maybe you can. Um, The argument that we make is that our species is clearly not evolved to be sexually monogamous, and that sexual monogamy is a cultural convention, and uh, that's why it's so fucking hard for most people, and so a lot of people who get upset about the book and consider it incendiary don't understand that it's not a book of advocacy. It, the book never says everyone should be swingers or you know whatever. What it Although says it is cool it's hard. That's that's the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> all it says, you know, and I've I've made this uh, comparison many times on TED and, and all over the place. Um, but what we say is that human beings are not naturally sexually monogamous, which is no more controversial, really, than saying human beings are not naturally vegetarians. It doesn't mean you can't choose to be a vegetarian and that that can't be a very healthy, moral, wonderful choice. Just don't expect it to be easy, right? And then the line I use is, uh, just because you've decided to be a vegetarian doesn't mean that bacon stops smelling good. (laughs) (laughs) That works in Portland, you know. <laughs> so how did you become interested in this as,
2: as a field of research?
4: Uh, well, that's a long story, but, it's, you know, boiling it down, I would say I was confused by Bill Clinton's blowjob situation.
0: I think we all <laughs> were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: It's when a, 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 a penis is taken into the mouth. By <laughs> <laughs> right, someone... And Bill Clinton was a president. Now I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
5: and,
4: No, I, I looked at that situation, and I said, okay, the, the theory is that men accrue power in order to have access to women, right? That's the sort of conventional wisdom. And that women trade sexual access and fidelity for resources, which is why men are trying to get the power and the resources in the first place. So here's the most powerful man in the world who's being publicly humiliated for a no-strings-attached sexual, and en- I don't want to say, encounter, let's say, because it wasn't intercourse, right? <laughs> uh, and it just didn't make any sense. So I started looking into it, and I, I read a book called The Moral Animal, which sort of explains evolutionary psychology and these arguments that women are trading sex for resources because they need a provider to take care of them and the babies and, you know, that whole argument that we're all deeply familiar with. And, uh, and I, at the time, I was living with my girlfriend who was a, a stripper in San Francisco. And so I was, she had all these very outspoken, intelligent, feminist friends. And then I I was also working. Lusty Lady, right? Huh?
3: Lusty Lady, right? No, no, she
4: was at Mitchell Brothers. Oh, yes.
3: That's even better. (laughs)
1: Caitlin used to live in the Bay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I was the uh, entertainment for the staff holiday party for a few years in a row. Lusty um,
4: Ladies, women-owned. Lusty Ladies yeah. is great, but at yeah. Mitchell
3: Brothers, that uh, that's, yeah, man, lots of doors open there. Really beautiful place. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> do continue.
1: Do Lusty, continue. Lusty Lady also sadly closed now. Yeah. It was the only uh, yeah. Yeah, worker-owned, unionized strip club in the country. But yeah. well,
3: Mitchell Brothers has a new mural, so very exciting things are happening <laughs> in the
4: strip club world. So, anyway, I, I, do you really want to hear this? Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. Yes. Uh, it's always funny doing shows with comedians.
3: They're <laughs> awful people. It's, I'm they're, so they're sorry. Gonna sensing stop. I'm sensing sarcasm. No, it's myself.
4: wonderful. It's, it's, but it's like swimming upstream. It's like a salmon going home to spawn. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the... Uh, and I Not was, I was or see, sorry.
3: <laughs> I, was right there. I literally had to I literally had to okay, please do continue I'm so curious. Uh,
4: I was working for an organization called Women in Community Service, which again was all outspoken, intelligent, feminist, you know, and so I was surrounded by all these very smart women, and when I would tell them this story, a lot of them just looked at me like, you 're so full of shit, man." And, and basically what they said is, like, that's not how we experience sexuality. That's how Darwin, this Victorian English uptight guy, thinks women experience sexuality. And so out of respect for them, I went back and started looking at the original research. And that's when I discovered bonobos. Right? Like, nobody talks about <laughs> bonobos. It's all about chimps, male-dominated, nasty, blah, blah, blah. Bonobos, female-dominated, cooperative, relaxed, everybody gets laid. Yeah, tear here them. for the bonobos. So it was like I was pulling a thread on a tapestry, and the whole thing just started to disintegrate. Mm-hmm.
3: The fascinating thing to me about bonobo culture and society is that they uh, in, engage with each other so often sexually that the, no male knows which offspring is his. Right. So he's willing and able to raise all of them as though he could be their father, which is such... An an interesting thing to think about when you look at modern society and modern families and not the show, but actually our lives, Uh, and where that possessiveness came from, where that protected this weird, uh, insular, closed-off nature of picket fence society where it would never even occur to you to take care of another child like it was your own. Uh, But if we were banging all the time, maybe we would. Just saying.
2: Well, we used to, basically, right?
4: Yeah, that's the argument uh, that we make in the book, that that, that you know, property-based relationship scenario is a, something that came about with agriculture, which is when all other property came about. Before agriculture, and we're talking about our species, anatomically modern humans, has existed roughly 200,000 years. right? Agriculture, at most, is 10,000. So that's 5% of our existence as a species. Not, not talking about earlier forms, human forms. So we're talking about a very small sliver of our history as a species has been in these property-based systems. Before that, everything was shared. Food, shelter, defense, child care. Women breastfed one another's babies without thinking about it. That's the way our species evolved. This, that's, this is mine, that's yours mentality is very recent and, we argue, imposed on us. By um, a civilizational structure that is very artificial. That's why we chafe against it. That's why we're so lonely. That's why, you know, babies die That's if they why. don't get touched. Because yeah. <laughs> we're living in a very poorly designed zoo, essentially.
1: I hadn't really. We had um, a while ago on the show. We had uh, Dr. Amy Parrish, who works with bonobos, and I hadn't realized until she point, until she said it that. We're exactly the same genetic distance from bonobos that we are from chimps.
4: Right. And, and they're o- closer to us than anything else by far. Right. Gorillas or like we're, yeah or
1: in, the, in the book, you draw out the uh, taxonomy of it, and we are so much closer to them than any of them are to, uh, say, orangutans.
4: Right. If you go to a zoo and you're standing there looking at the chimps or the bonobos, keep in mind that you're more closely related to them than they are to anything else in the zoo. In fact, some scientists really feel that we should be three subspecies of chimpanzee, the human chimp and bonobo. Right.
1: And bonobos and chimps themselves are closer related to each other. Right.
4: The way I think of it is like chimps and bonobos are like like if I had twin brothers, right? They're very, very closely related to one another. But then after one another, I'm their next closest relative. Right. And they're equidistant from me.
1: Um, and yeah, bonobos are a matriarchal. They They do all the opposite things to what some evolutionary psychologists use chimps to explain our behavior with
4: right if you have a, an enclosure full of chimps and you throw in a, a bag of food for example uh, which provokes stress right because how are we going to divide this who's going to get it who's going to get excluded so when you provoke stress in a, in a group of chimps what happens is all hell breaks loose the dominant male coalition will take control of the food, share it among themselves. They might share it with a female who happens to be ovulating, because that makes her popular for a moment.
3: It doesn't. It doesn't um, make. And much everyone much. else is
4: screwed.
0: <laughs> Quite the contrary, yeah, it really doesn't.
4: <laughs> Do you know strippers who are ovulating make more in tips? Do you know that research? That's weird. Mitchell
3: Brothers, <laughs> I really learned a lot of Mitchell Brothers, everybody. good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That sounds like the the
3: best corporate gig you (laughs) could possibly have. You know, if the corporation is, like, unwashed cash from mafia dollars. Yes. (laughs) Yes,
0: it is. By the way, uh, check out uh, next year I'm going to launch a web series called Chimps and Bonobos. In case, this is the coolest name. I know I'm the dumbest one on this panel because the entire time I'm like, bonobos is a funny word. (laughs) The whole time. All right, continue with your science.
4: Getting back to the science. So if you throw a packet of food into an enclosure of bonobos, here's what happens. They watch the food fall. They all have sex with each other and then they share the food.
3: That sounds like one of my house
5: parties.
4: (laughs) So so it sort of just becomes like a well catered orgy. Yeah, I don't have house parties. A
1: what? (laughs) So it's just like a well catered orgy.
5: A well catered orgy, yeah. It's (laughs) like,
1: oh, someone brought snacks. That's cool. Whoever that was. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
0: Another future Bridgetown activity. (laughs) Just a burlap sack full of food into a bunch of
3: naked comics. I just, promise none of us would do it or eat. We would just uncomfortably tell, like, shoulder-graze and look for the right business card to grab before going and huddling yeah. alone. I'd be Sorry, th- but, is that getting
0: too real? I'd be throwing donuts like discs. Just.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might take one of the donuts into a private room. But, <laughs> you've had your hand up for a while. We'll take questions later, but let's take this one quickly. What did you want to know? You look confused.
4: Bonobo. Bonobo. Bonobo is a primate that's closely related to humans and chimpanzees. They describe him. Is the one with the pink
3: butt? And the they look kind of like chimps.
4: But yeah, they look very much like chimpanzees. You have to sort of be a, a expert to notice the difference. They they. Their hair is parted in the middle, which is kind of cool.
3: Um, I think part of the difference is that a bonobo isn't ripping your face off. Yeah. Like, if you're yeah. in an enclosure with one or the other, a chimp just bit your face and a bonobo just humped your leg. Yeah. Bonobo's, bonobos <laughs> like a hipster
1: chimp.
2: <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: Oh, it was a chimp before. It was cool. <laughs>
2: So we, we tend to always project our worst traits onto animals, like we look for for like we like the Hobbesian idea that man is this savage ape like chimps, but we never look for the, the the past versions of our good qualities in animals, which bonobos kind of have like this. They, I think, is it bonobos and humans the only, only animals that produce oxytocin? Is that
4: true? No. Are they only primates? No, but there are a lot of things that are very common uh, or, or that are common to humans and bonobos that know other primates. Like, for example, we're the only animals that uh, look in each other's eyes when we have sex.
5: Well,
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Um, yeah, the bonobos kiss one another They hold hands uh, Oral sex is common Bonobos have sex in all combinations Except mother-son Happy Mother's Day yeah. um, Which led me to think That motherfucker's the oldest Bad word Because it goes back before language right? Even bonobos don't fuck their mothers And what's another word for motherfucker? Dad That just occurred to me
5: <laughs> That's your dad
1: Whoa! <laughs> it just got really real. <laughs> That's a really good point. I wonder if it is the oldest of insults, because it
0: depends well, how like, long well, they've been married. <laughs> well, because like
1: the word <laughs> "cunt" is so in funny. Chaucer, and that as not in any way It only became vulgar later on in history.
4: Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a there's a built-in incest. Uh, not, it's not a taboo because it's not cultural, but. The, you know, the Oedipal yep. sort of uh, prohibition seems to be biological as opposed to cultural.
1: My friend Richard is a historian. He studied insults in the ancient world, and he was telling me, like, in whether there's Roman or Greek culture, there's a lot of um, oral sex slurs, like some of the slurs are words for, like, like penis liquor or <laughs> in whatever that is in Greek. I don't know if we have any classicism. Yeah, everybody hates a penis liquor. Right? Oh, there's the worst.
5: <laughs> there you go. It surprised
1: me. It surprised wh- me to find out that people back in that uh, like yeah, I thought they were all at it. Look at their <laughs> vases.
4: <laughs> in some African societies, you insult a man by telling him he has a big penis. Mm. Huh. Yeah, like get you, you and your big penis. Get away from me.
0: Can we be more specific <laughs> as to which societies?
5: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: But humans do have the biggest penis of any primate, don't we?
4: Uh, the thickest. <laughs> the thickest? Okay. Uh, certainly the thickest. Yeah, you
2: do, honey.
3: Yeah. You sure <laughs> do. A very big. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's huge. I have no idea how
1: big Andy is. I have no idea. I don't know. Let's ask let's the people who used to change him. <laughs>
5: uh,
2: is he well made mad? <laughs> Is he hot in the shorts?
3: Is he, is he pound for pound pounding? Is
2: that. <laughs> So, but that—that's there's a reason for that. Like that, the penis size and testicle size have some in, are indicators of what kind of sexual behavior a species is yeah. prone to, right?
4: Yeah. In the book, we we talk about lots of different uh, ways that you can uh, sort of read the sexual behavior of an animal by looking at its bodies, and. Its body, and and in humans, one of the things that indicates the promiscuity of the female is the fact that the size and the volume of male testicles, and the fact that they're outside the body. In the book, we say having. Wait, what?
3: Sorry, I'm just kidding. I yeah. knew they were outside the body.
4: <laughs> um, like like a gorilla, you know. If you say a guy's hung like a gorilla, that's an insult. Because gorilla penis is about that big, fully erect. I, I, from from here, not from that's, here. That's a little I've been thing with that's a couple
1: around.
3: gorillas. You know what I'm saying, girl? This won't <laughs> stop. I can't stop myself. I'm
4: so sorry. Dude, it's hung like a gorilla. And his uh, testicles are inside his body. Um, and But then you look at a chimpanzee or a bonobo, their testicles are like chicken eggs. And their penis is as long as humans, but it's this weird conical... Um, very thin thing, yeah. <laughs> so, humans, we have these thicker penises with the flared head.
0: Prove it!
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it is anyone right up there, she'll, she'll verify it. For it.
0: I um, don't know what came over me. <laughs>
4: So we have these strange, this, this unique design of a penis. And the other thing that we do is the repeated thrusting action, which is unusual. Most mammals, they just put it in, ejaculate, and that's it. Even worse than us. Uh, LAUGHTER And uh, so Dan Savage refers to this as the plunger penis theory, um, which he loves. So the idea is the flared head and the repeated thrusting, what that does is it creates a vacuum in the female's reproductive tract that pulls pre-existing sperm away from the ovum. So the female is basically evolved to have sex with multiple males. Another indication of this is something called female copulatory vocalization. Which is the female of, of primate species that are promiscuous tend to make a lot of noise when they're having sex. I don't know if any of you have ever heard anyone having sex. If you have, <laughs> was it the guy or the girl, if it was a heterosexual couple? Uh,
5: Perverts! That's yeah. that's right, I actually is.
4: asked the audience that question at TED, which made them very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> It's not easy to make the audience at TED uncomfortable. Let me tell you. What if you
3: throw a burlap sack full of food into a TED audience?
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Meg Ryan happened to be in the audience when I said this. Uh, the most famous female copulatory vocalizer ever.
1: Don't have what she's eating out of the burlap sack.
5: Yeah.
1: Um, there's there's conflicting theories about what uh, you can talk about this in the book about what the reason is for female sexual vocalization because some people think it's just an evolutionary side effect and others think it has actual
4: meaning in its own right yeah well it seems to be functional in the sense that when you look at primates um, those that are monogamous or uh, polygamous meaning a harem based system with one male and several females those females don't make noise The ones who make noise are the ones in promiscuous groups, and it's even been, a lot of people are studying this, it's even been found that the other females in the group get information beyond, hey, I'm getting fucked. They get information about who's fucking me, how high he is in the male hierarchy. And whether or not she's ovulating, so she's sending out information like either it's worth your trouble to come, or maybe you want, so to speak, or you want to, uh, you know, yeah. keep your distance, uh, you know, because this guy who I'm with is a big badass, you know. So there, there's a lot of information in female copulatory vocalization. Yes, you had something. No. No.
0: <laughs>
4: you looked like you were about to vocalize.
0: I'm taking notes.
2: <laughs> so I wonder. It's a. It's a an accepted thing that sperm competition is real and that um, even though you refute the standard model of, of how men want to, like lock down a woman, make sure that, that her children are his, right. um, there still is this idea that it, it behooves you to have your sperm passed along. Um, but then there are still these cultures even today that where they believe that it takes many men having sex with the same woman to make the baby, right? You like have read could... the book,
4: haven't you? Wow.
2: <laughs> partible paternity, right? Yeah, is partible
4: that's... paternity, right. Yeah, there are, there are lots of tribes in the Amazon and also in Papua New Guinea and other parts of the world that believe that a fetus is literally made of accumulated semen. So a woman who wants to have a baby who's... Smart and funny and good looking and a good hunter, or whatever, she'll have sex with the smart guy and the funny guy and the good looking guy and the good hunter to get the Sit essence of all in. these guys in her baby. Does
1: this mostly happen in Japan? I'm
0: so, wait, hold on. Three people. All right, I'll take, I'll take it. So, if you're dumb, your mom has probably only fucked one guy. (laughs) Is that what I'm gathering?
4: Well... Because
0: then I'm so proud of my mother.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Then yes. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't know... Get serious. I probably shouldn't get serious. Oh, no, please. But there is a problem. (laughs) There is a problem. Like, you know, you said it behooves you to get your genes. You know, there is genetic uh, competition going on, but the beauty of a promiscuous species is that almost everyone's getting laid. And it doesn't really matter whose genes are fertilized, you know, whose sperm is fertilizing the woman. Nobody's keeping track of that. So you don't have these legions of. Sexually frustrated people, the way you do when it becomes a one on one kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And it's also not good for the species because, you know, imagine you've got someone who's got um, a, a man who's got a, a genetic problem. In that society, his sperm cells probably aren't going to be as vigorous as some of the other men. So the men with the, the most vigorous genetic material their uh, genes are going to be going into the future. The others won't. The others are getting laid. They're having a great time. No problem. Nobody gives a damn, right? But genetically, the best genes are going into the future. Once you've got culturally enforced monogamy, then you've got guys who have problems, genetic problems. And the woman is only having sex with that guy, so eventually she will get pregnant from him. And so whatever genetic problem is in his DNA is getting passed along. So it's really much better for the species to be promiscuous than it is to be monogamous. So you even said
1: that sperm counts are going down as a result of monogamy.
4: Well, we, we hypothesize that I mean, there, there's a dramatic um, decrease in men's sperm counts, especially in the Western world. And people are looking at different reasons, ranging from pesticides to beef to uh, antibiotics in the food supply to tight genes. There are lots of different possible explanations. But we sort of throw into the mix another possible explanation is culturally enforced monogamy. Because guys who would not have been fertilizing women in a promiscuous uh, context now are because there's no competition. And this gets back to gorillas. I mentioned gorillas have these tiny little penises, right? and tiny testicles. The reason is that in the gorilla system, the males compete and then the male who wins, who beats the other males, who who fights them off, he takes control of all the females. And then there's no breeding competition, right? So the the field of battle is on the physical individual level. That's why male gorillas are about twice as big as female gorillas, because the biggest, strongest male is the one who wins and, and his genes go into the future. In promiscuous species, you have males that are about 20% bigger than females, which is humans, chimps, bonobos, and others. And the field of battle is on the, on the genital or reproductive level, which is why we have bigger testicles and penises and female copulatory vocalization and all these things that happen on that level. And that allows peace between individual males and it allows us to build these complex social networks. So it all fits together very nicely. And people who argue that humans are like gorillas have a lot to explain, right? So in those early
2: days pre-agriculture, when everyone's fucking everybody, but the best genes produce the kids, those, like, weaker men, the adult males, are still in the community and still contributing to everything, having sex and helping yeah. contribute to the common food supply. And things, sure, right?
4: and that explains, like... You know, the persistence of homosexuality. Everybody's saying, well, how can homosexuality exist? It doesn't make any sense. It has no. Once you understand that for human beings, sex is not primarily about reproduction, right? Human beings have sex about a thousand times per birth. Now, if that sounds high to some of you, I'm sure it sounds low to others.
5: <laughs> you know, it's an average.
4: You've been uh, reading
0: my diary.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> we have sex when the female is not ovulating that's very rare for mammals most mammals only have sex when conception is at least possible if not likely we have sex when women are menstruating when they're already pregnant when they're postmenopausal we have you know blowjobs handjobs we have all this sex that can't possibly lead to babies right so sex for humans is not about babies it's about
0: damn straight yeah
4: (laughs) it's about connection and and that's very unusual among mammals bonobos dolphins and chimps are really the only other mammals who have sex for social reasons
2: we hadn't talked about dolphins at all before what, what what's their similarity to us when it comes to well
4: that? if you look at those four species which are the four massive exceptions to you know uh, procreative sex they're all highly social highly intelligent and all of them have co-opted sexual behavior for social purposes
2: then why do you think is it is agriculture to blame for everything? Is that the is that the downfall of, of this entire structure? Like that that introducing the idea of possession and then having to care about whose kids are yours because you have land that you own that you're passing on to them or?
4: Yeah, you know. it, agriculture was a major um, disaster for our species. I, I was in uh, Austin last week at a paleo conference, and one of the speakers used a phrase that was really interesting. He said, agriculture was great for the species, but bad for the individuals. And I thought, that sounds like it makes sense. But then I thought, how can something be good for a species? Like, you can't say it's great for the family, but bad for everyone in it, right? It doesn't make sense. And yet, on a species level, we assume it does. We say, our species is thriving. There are 7 billion of us. Yeah, but life isn't better for any of us, right? So I'm writing a book now called Civilized to Death, which really uh, addresses this question you're talking about.
3: It seems like we came to a turning point, uh, well, a a couple hundred years ago. Not long ago when we decided to make our food out of false means. Once we didn't have to use fertilizer that we actually had to have, we could make it. We could just make it out of the air. We started feeding ourselves out of the air, which is kind of a crazy way to disconnect yourself from where we live and the thing we're spinning on. And it seems like we're, it's been a numbers game where we measure human success by the, number, the amount of us that we can plop out on the planet, but it it has no rational basis to how many we can actually support, which can't be good for species or the individual. I I mean, nature doesn't offer us very many positive examples of overpopulation ending well. Right. Uh, It just doesn't seem... I mean, I don't remember the deers having machine guns, but I feel like that's, uh, you know, (laughs) in a pasture with too many deer, weird shit happens. I just don't... You've uh, never been to
5: Tallahassee. (laughs) (laughs) True.
3: But, yeah, it's just... Interesting to think about that we're so disconnected. If agriculture is the thing that tipped us in this strange direction, we as a species are entirely removed from our agriculture. The food we eat is still false. Uh, I understand it's still grown, but we've moved to something different from agriculture. I need a new word for what we're doing with food now because it is not agriculture on any scale. Industrial agriculture. And
2: you're from San Francisco, is that right? Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. Okay. I grew up in Napa, so if it didn't grow in a vineyard, I don't even know why we're eating it.
2: So in these pre-agriculture tribes, it was also, like, the worst crime you could commit was hoarding, right? Was keeping things from the group. That's still a pretty terrible
3: crime. Have you seen that show? (laughs)
4: yeah yeah that's caused a lot of confusion um you know because uh, anthropologists would go in to study these groups and they would bring a trunk with you know six months worth of supplies and uh you know they'd be living there and they've got six months worth of chocolate bars and you know beef jerky or whatever they've got and the people they're living with would get offended because like you know we share everything how can you come here and want to you know, study us and live with us and eat our food, and you've got your private stash in your house there. And your little—it's a very uh, strange thing. And you know, we see these conflicts all the time. This misunderstanding when uh, Westerners will show up and say, "Well, take us to your chief." What chief? <laughs> right? These are egalitarian societies where things are decided on consensus. We do and,
3: have a guy getting a BJ from a girl in a blue dress over there. You want to talk to him? I don't know. <laughs>
4: I thought you were over
3: there. I just was going In Clinton my fictional society, some guy was... I literally was it. like,
0: is Bill Clinton doing <laughs> it again?
3: <laughs> Don't use physical humor in a podcast, Caitlin. Yes.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> so with uh, marriage being what, what modern man thinks is the default, or, or monogamy being the, the true... Natural state of man. Like there are still lots of different versions of marriage you talk about around the world that are pretty unconventional. Yeah. Like a, a traveler's marriage that is. Uh, where, is that oh, in, in the Middle East. Yeah, I think it's yeah. called
4: misrar in in um, some Middle Eastern countries. If if a man wants to be with a prostitute, he'll marry her temporarily, and it automatically expires after 24 hours. So it's a loophole. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's a real cinderella story in the middle east (laughs) but i feel like religion at midnight get rid of your whore (laughs) that's so weird yeah
4: your whore your wife turns back into a whore (laughs) at midnight yeah it feels like religion is don't we wish religion's Uh, full of (laughs) i didn't say that out loud did i Uh, the, uh, the one of the more interesting examples is in China. the the, uh, the Mosuo people in southwestern China, they have a very interesting system where um, the all first of all, an important point we haven't made yet is that in these societies, men and women are of equal status. Women's status plummets with the advent of agriculture. At that point, women become little more than domesticated animals, literally. If you, you know, everyone knows the line from the Old Testament, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, right? And most people think that's saying respect your neighbor's marriage. It's not. What it's saying in context, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his house, nor his slave, nor his ox. That's what it says. So the neighbor's wife is just property. You shan't, you shan't covet thy neighbor's property. And um, so when you look at uh, these other societies we're talking about, women's status is, is on a par with men's. They're, they have the same sort of autonomy. In the Mosuo, who are a contemporary uh, tribal people in southwestern China, every sexual encounter is seen as a, a unique event with no uh, assumptions about future. So we get together. We're, we like each other. We had fun last night. Tomorrow we'll see, right? And the way it works is women live in their mother's house, and when a woman reaches sexual maturity, she gets her own bedroom, which opens into the courtyard but also has a door that opens into the street. And she can have anyone she wants come through that door and spend the night with her. The only rule is that the person who came in has to be gone before breakfast. There's no breakfast. Dig it. And... And there's absolute autonomy. She can be with a different lover every night. She can be with the same lover. She can have two lovers in one night. She can do whatever she wants. There's no shame associated with it. No problem, right? Now, the evolutionary psychologists say this is impossible. This can't possibly happen because who's going to take care of the babies? You need to rope a man in through sex to take care of the babies. The way they handle it is the woman's brothers and sisters take care of her babies, right? The, the, the biological father is a complete non Issue. Um, if he even knows which babies are his, right? So there's an example that's lasted for hundreds of years. Marco Polo traveled through there and wrote about it in his travels, so it's quite stable. The Chinese government tried to enforce conventional monogamy on them, and they, they literally rose up and burned down the theaters and blocked the trucks, <laughs> and, and finally the Chinese government starved them cut off all roads to their villages until they agreed to marry one to one. But a lot of them still refuse. They go through the motions, but they refuse. And it's, it's charming when you read what they say. They say, why, why should men and women live together? They just yell and scream and there's all these problems. <laughs> Let them come together when they want to, you know? It's, yeah. So there are lots of examples, yeah. both hunter-gatherers and, and non-hunter-gatherers.
2: Yeah. And there's some people that have like wedding night orgies. Right? Like the bride has to sleep with everyone in the, in the tribe the night of her wedding? Yeah, I mean? there, there are
4: lots of different permutations of that. Um, there, the Kulina have a, a wedding ritual where the mother-in-laws both talk to the couple and tell them, you know, the, the advice that they give sort of ritualistically is to, you know, never be jealous of your partner's lovers. And, you know, so there's all, like, that's part of being married, you know, and keep cool about that. And there are some, well, there's, there's one ritual I love, the, uh, I think it's the Canela people, where they're a hunter-gatherer group, and the, um, every once in a while, the women will sort of get together and say, all right, these guys, they're not hunting enough, you know, we're getting tired of this, they're lazy. So they'll get up in the morning, and they'll go around the village singing a song, which roughly translates to... You guys are lazy. We haven't had enough meat. We want meat.
0: In our society, we call that book club.
4: (laughs) And I wrote to the anthropologist. I said, "Does meat have a double entendre for them?" He said, "Oh yeah." Yeah. So what Beyonce
1: song? (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, So so this it, it does feel like a lot of the, sci- like the science that has come out of this, so to speak, has been reinterpreting the evidence in, in the face of your cultural expectations. Like That's what's happened over the years. People have gone, like, this is how humans should behave, and then they've cherry-picked the information to fit their moral model
4: of the world. Yeah, well, you see that in, in science all the time, and that's one of the sort of subtexts of Sex at Dawn and, and also the book I'm writing now is that What's presented as science is often just disguised politics. I mean, we talk about drapedomania, okay, which was um, Benjamin Cartwright was a doctor in the 1850s, I believe, in New Orleans, who published in scientific journals about the disease of drapedomania. What drapedomania was, it, it was the symptoms were slaves who weren't happy being slaves, they suffered from drapetomania. <laughs> and how was it treated? By beating them. Uh, and that was, me- that was medicine, right? Uh, masturbation. There's a huge uh, war against masturbation. The most famous... Some of the most famous doctors in the United States at the end of the 19th century were were writing books teaching parents how to stop their children from masturbating, which included pouring carbolic acid on little girls' clitorises if they touched themselves, sewing together the foreskin of little boys' penises with wire threads, cages with spikes on the inside that they'd strap to boys when they went to sleep. So if they got an erection at night, which all men do, by the way, uh, the spikes would puncture the penis. Happy Mother's Day! Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so it, it, it's not it's unusual, unusual for science, to ma- for politics and, and bias to masquerade as science. Well,
1: as well, in the book as well, even earlier than that, you, you mentioned a few hundred years before that, the first male scientist to discover the clitoris was arrested for witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing. Witchcraft itself, witchcraft itself is is largely tied into this anti-sex sentiment. Like, do you know why witches ride brooms? No. This, this, all right, this has little to do with anything, but.
0: I'm listening.
4: Witches were pre-Christian Healers in Europe, right, basically. They were shamans, and many of them were women, as they are all over the world. And they used hallucinogens, as shamans typically do wherever they're available. The hallucinogens that were available in Europe were quite toxic, so they weren't like psilocybin mushrooms or something, or ayahuasca, which you could just eat or drink. Uh, Amanita muscaria, which is the red mushroom with the white dots that Alice in Wonderland, you see them everywhere, those are the most ancient uh, hallucinogens that are used in European societies. Anyway, they're toxic. You can't really eat them. So what they did was they made witches' brews with Amanita muscaria, with, um, you know, how there's always, like, the eye of a newt and stuff like that. Frogs have bufetinin in their skin, which is a very strong hallucinogen. So they put different types of frogs and reptiles in there. Anyway, they mix this stuff up, and they can't drink it. It'll kill you. So the way they ingested it was they took a staff, dipped it in the staff, and then, in the vagina, it passes Watch through: A tampon baby.: <laughs> Exactly. So it passes through the mucosa of the vagina into the bloodstream. That's why witches ride brooms. There you go.
0: This has given me a whole new meaning to quidditch. (Laughter)
2: Um,
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Has, I, I know like you need to say that again
0: we don't get it have you seen Harry Potter
1: you
3: don't get Quidditch nobody gets Quidditch literally no one understands what Quidditch is why it's a thing and what the rules could possibly be uh, uh, what does the Bronx have
4: to do with they, oh, they put the, they, the
2: potion they, on, they on the hand on that,
4: the that, that the they were flying <laughs> because of the hallucinogens that they, they took into their bodies through a dildo so the broom is the dildo. It's
2: a sure. flavored
0: dildo on the go. Yeah,
5: <laughs>
4: it's a run, flying run dildo. Meeting.
5: But you... like,
0: no one's gonna be like, "Hey, is that a like a di- No, I'm just cleaning. Like you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the perfect excuse.
1: Hey, be careful! This is poisonous. You're not gonna mix it, are you? Uh huh. Next time,
0: next time you see a janitor in the hallway, <laughs> what's he doing in the empty building? Who knows?
1: as someone who comes from a nation of chimney sweeps uh, <laughs> uh Chris I, I know like the book definitely like it was hugely popular um but also divisive and there was criticism it's like is there any criticism of the, of the book that subsequently rang true or that you would have written differently or do you think it, people misjudged the people who criticized
4: um well I think if I were to write the book again uh there are definitely things that I'm sure Casilda and I both would change. I would. Uh, we've talked about that. If we ever do a second edition, we'll talk a lot more about same sex same sex couples and uh-huh. LGBT spectrum uh, because the book's very much sort of uh, assumes a male female evolutionary thing, which is kind of.
3: Don't worry, on- we're used to it
4: yeah yeah well you know and then we we're very gratified that most of the sort of lgbt community if you can even say such a thing was very supportive of the book dan savage was a huge you know fan of the book and um so we definitely talk about that more explicitly i uh-huh. think um there was some reference uh like what i just said about how same-sex couples aren't a conundrum unless you're assuming sex is about reproduction, but I would do a whole chapter about that uh, just to be more respectful, I think. Cool. Um, we've, got, we've got a bit of time before we have to wrap things up,
1: and I know, I'm, I know people in the audience will have questions. Um, I don't think there are any mics on the audience, so if you do ask a question, we'll have to repeat it into the microphone just so it gets picked up for the recording. But or is
2: this front one on? I, could they walk up to this one? You could walk up to this mic if you wanted to. You it's, could yeah.
1: walk up to this one if you're close enough, and if not, uh, oh, uh, gentleman over there. That's
2: an ambient mic, not a vocal mic.
1: Oh, who's uh, uh, Would that yeah. be? That's, that's, so a, I, a, oh, that's an ambient. If you just shout you out your repeat, question, sure. we'll repeat it.
2: You, you mentioned earlier that other mammals were focused on polygamy and stuff like that. What about like, non mammals,
1: insects, any, anything else? So, do, do non mammals also have non monogamous
4: relationships? Well, yeah, okay. yeah, there are all sorts of, of complicated, wondrous mating systems. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I try to focus on mammals and particularly on primates just because that's most relevant to our evolutionary past. And yeah, I don't have time to be an expert on everything. <laughs> but, you know, in the course of the research, I did find like really interesting, like sea slugs, which are one of the most ancient uh, animals the way they, they contain both male and female genitalia. And what they do is they sort of wander along the, the bottom of the ocean until they run into one another. And then they rear up and they have these horns that come out of their heads and they start butting against each other. And finally, one of them will butt through and break the skin of the other, and he'll ejaculate through his horn into the other, which will conceive, and now that one's female and this one's male. But until that happens, they're both both.
0: Put that in the spank bank, guys.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like prison. I mean. uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the... Sorry, just, just oh, real, sorry. real quickly, there's a whole, cha- there's a whole section about um, penguins in the book. We do talk about the march of the penguins. And it turns out that's complete bullshit. They're not monogamous. <laughs> but yes.
0: Get out.
3: (laughs) I don't know know if you do talk about... Because here, I was waiting for the religion part. You said about the agriculture, but no, you
1: vaguely
3: went through... I mean, the witches were
1: pre-religious. So the question is about how much religion had an effect on cultural monogamy as opposed to just the agriculture effect.
4: Yeah, I I would argue that religion is... um, just another means of enforcing a lot of these rules that came about with agriculture. Monotheistic religions don't exist in pre-agricultural societies. uh, They exist in societies that are rigidly hierarchical. And that doesn't happen until you have agriculture. So I see religion as part of a suite of population control techniques that um came into existence along with agriculture. So it's more of a symptom than a cause. Yeah, it's like the advertising division of capitalism, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nick, did you have a question at the back there? Uh Nick? Yeah.
2: Why is, why when is did we shades
5: get a taste for the rough stuff <laughs> yeah, how, so the question yeah, does,
0: is why well, did Fifty Shades of Grey happen
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's a good question um, I, I look at Fifty Shades of Grey in two ways I say first of all it's, it confirms that there's a huge amount of sexual energy in society that we're denying So occasionally something like that pops up. It's acceptable to go and buy it, especially among women, right? Because we're constantly saying women are not sexual creatures. It's the men who are always trying to be sexual and the women who are resisting. That's complete bullshit, right? Women can have sex far more than men. Women can have multiple (laughs) orgasms, you know. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, women are by many measures far far more sexual animals than men are <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> did we just hear some copulatory vocalization I think
4: that just happened he
2: brought visual oh, aids
4: <laughs> uh, so that, so 50 Shades of Grace sort of confirms that on one level as far as the kink factor I think a lot of kink is a result of this, this energy being suppressed by society And so it comes out in in interesting ways that are expressions of the conflict. Um, In a lot of societies that are very free and open about sex, you don't see kink. You don't see, um, you know, sex is kind of boring, you know, from our perspective because people just do what you know, basic intercourse, and not even a lot of oral sex or anything. And so I think a lot of the alternatives are due to the, the repression. And we see the same thing in art and music and in many different parts of life, right? Creativity is often a result of, of obstruction of a, a more conventional or easy way of expressing something.
2: Speaking of that, actually, I was wondering, I meant to ask, is there any evolutionary explanation for the idea of delayed gratification of that being a thing that... that do you know what I mean? Is, there, is, is that too philosophical to find any kind of...
4: Uh, for a comedy show
0: <laughs> i don't even understand the question i'm like what do you mean, what do you
4: mean? i just mean like um you mean sexually se- or in,
2: a- in any kind of way like is there any um explanation for why sometimes yeah just like the basis things can be made better by the withholding of them sometimes you know what i mean like
4: yeah well you could certainly tie uh an appetite for or an appreciation for delayed gratification to agriculture right because you're not, um, like hunter-gatherers go out, get the food, come home and eat it. That's it. Farming, you've got to plant, you've got to take care of it all summer, you've got to harvest in the winter, and then you have to be careful in the, you know, through the winter to make sure you have enough to get through the next year. So there's this uh, sort of harnessing of resources and portioning out and all that. That's very much a post-agricultural mentality. Um, When you talk to uh, hunter gatherers, there's this famous case where an anthropologist asked uh, a hunter gatherer, "Why don't you guys learn to farm?" And his answer was, "Why should we learn to farm? There are so many mongo mongo nuts in the world, right? It's like the world's full of food. Why am I gonna work? Are you kidding me?"
1: I think I'd be much more of a gatherer than a hunter. Shocker. Just on the balance of things, like, do people do you have to do both? No. No, generally the women
4: gather and the men hunt. I'll hang with babes.
5: He's, ex-
0: he's already exhausted from a hypothetical scenario. He's like, are you telling me I have to do both?
4: Well, I didn't finish that story, speaking of hunting, where the women go around singing, we want meat, we want meat. What they'll do is when they get to a particular man who's in his hammock, a woman will go up and bang a stick on one of the posts that his hammock is strung between. It'll never be the woman he's normally having sex with. It'll be some other woman he doesn't typically have sex with. And what that means is, if you come home with me tonight, I'll sleep with you. So it's a little strange to get him, you know, motivated. Motivated by the strange. And... uh, And so what happens then is the men will go out hunting. If if a man doesn't want to sleep with that woman, he'll pretend he has stomach problems and like he'll get out. Oh, I've
3: heard
0: that (laughs) excuse.
4: (laughs) Been there. But most of the men will go out hunting in
3: that society.
4: (laughs) (laughs) They go out hunting and then they disperse because they hunt monkeys in this in this particular group. And then, but they agree before they go back to the village, they'll all meet outside the village in this particular spot. So a couple of the guys will get monkeys, most of them won't. But they meet in this spot. They cut up the monkeys so every guy walks into the village with some meat.
2: Oh, teamwork, fellas. Teamwork. Is that the original That's wingman? Adorable.
4: Is, uh, that, is that the original wingman? Was that the first ever <laughs> <yeah>. wingman? Wingman. <laughs> I thought you said rain man.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh over there and then we got two questions over that. Sorry. Yes, what would you... Yeah.
4: yeah that 's a good question, um, the, the question is, really. sorry, just quickly to repeat oh, yeah. because the, mic point, um, the question
1: is whether std sexually transmitted diseases are a problem in more promiscuous societies yeah
4: that 's a, a very logical question it 's not really an issue for two reasons. One is that more promiscuous species have much stronger immune systems. We find this in primates in general. Um, so it's logical to assume that human immune response was very strong in prehistory. The second thing is that in hunter-gatherer groups, because of sparse um, population densities, um, contagious diseases don't spread quickly. Uh, something could spread through one band, for example. Like if someone had sex with a monkey, which is how they With think. the
3: monkeys in that band, it spread really fast. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, you so, heard so it
0: here also, first, folks. <laughs> the monkeys are dirty. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But when they're hunted, the men cut them up equally, so everybody has a piece of <laughs> <a> meter bike <laughs> to go back with.
4: Yeah, what was his, Mickey something? Mickey. <laughs> my, I said, my, yeah. it's
3: Mickey. I didn't remember who the monkeys were. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think if you brought back Peter Torque, you wouldn't get laid as much as if you brought back, like, Davy Jones that's or something. You've got to bring true. back the best. Yeah, right.
3: uh, it does seem to me that if uh, it, it presupposes that we are a monogamous culture to say that STDs would be worse in a you know, a a swing in culture. It seems like that's, I mean, we wouldn't be spreading them if we were only sleeping with each other exclusively one at a time for the rest of our life. We don't do that, so we do now. We just have guilt and shame as side effects of every STD, and it's all like we do. I understand that there are some diseases just spread sexual. We spread diseases all the fucking. Do you want to stop shaking hands? We can't touch any object. Yes. We can't. We just. <laughs> it's a, that's a guilt and shame thing to separately label these diseases that we spread exclusively with our genitalia. I mean, it, it, there are all sorts of gross things. I, anybody got some ringworm? I guarantee you, you do. I promise someone in this room has ringworm. Uh, But we're not talking about that like it's a thing you should be guilty or shameful. You probably do feel guilty or shameful about your (laughs) ringworm. But we just spread... They're diseases. Diseases are a problem in human, human society. In every way that we interact... Uh, but we're not monogamous. We've never been a monogamous culture. It's why, or we, I mean, we pretend. But we're not a we're a monogamous culture. We're not a monogamous species. So we, that's why STDs are an issue at all. Period. It seems to me, unless that.
4: Yeah, you? and and you refer to this. I mean, with other diseases, people often, when I have these conversations, people say, "Yeah, but now we have antibiotics and we have you know all these modern medical miracles." The fact is, our pre-agricultural ancestors didn't suffer from virtually every one of the top 10 most deadly diseases. There was no tuberculosis, no diphtheria, no influenza, none of these things, because these are all uh, viruses or or bacteria that jumped over from domesticated animals, right? right? And until we had domesticated animals, none of these diseases affected humans. So these these are effects of agriculture. Right, and I say this—you know—arguing that that's a wonderful thing is like saying, you know, oh, but our hunter-gatherer ancestors didn't have seatbelts and airbags. You know, yeah, they didn't have cars either, right? So it's sort of—would um, <laughs> be
0: weird. Yeah, if like, had seatbelts and they're just right. walking around.
4: It's like you know, we solved a problem we didn't have. Is that an accomplishment? I don't know.
2: But, I think we have time for one more question. Is there another one? Oh, which one? Nice. Oh i
1: so, yeah, we'll hang on. Let's see if we can get these two questions in quickly, because you both had your hands up for a while. So what's your question?
5: My question was, what society would
0: you picture?
1: What, the question is, what society would you picture? Like an ideal society?
5: So we're, we can't go back. We're 300 million people in the States, and we can't go back
1: to be all hunters and Yeah, so we can't dial back on agriculture. Right. So, so what so would we the we ideal... Know,
4: Yeah, well, that's largely what I'm trying to write about now in in this book called Civilized to Death. And um, I think what the the most that I can hope for, as I mentioned earlier, I said that we we live in a very poorly designed zoo, right? And um, so you're right. We can't go back to hunter-gatherer life. We can't ever do that. But we can build a zoo that incorporates as much as possible of our natural environment and our natural way of living so that at least we'll be happier. We'll be the the chimps in the San Diego Zoo, not the chimps at the Calcutta Zoo, right? (laughs) So I think that that, I hope, if there's hope, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be sort of this return to an artificially maintained and constructed, but very thoughtfully constructed environment that replicates as much as possible of our hunter-gatherer past. So the meaning I find in the work I'm doing is trying to help people see, at least as well as I can, what that past really was, and not this Hobbesian bullshit about how everybody's killing everybody and men are clubbing women and dragging them off and raping them. That's not what our hunter-gatherer ancestors were doing, and yet we've we're constantly told that right we're constantly given this propaganda uh which which uh is selling the present and demonizing the past so i'm trying to set that right so that we can have a more accurate sense of where we came from
1: that sounds feels like a really good place to round things up and also we've come to roughly the end of our time um that was awesome uh firstly before we wrap things up uh, where can our listeners find out more about all of our guests Fuzzy uh, caitlin
3: uh, at Robot Caitlin on Twitter uh, Website is my name Plus comedy Caitlincomedy.com Also uh, for Portlanders I'll be right back here On the stage With Bobcat Goldthwait Next weekend So do come back and join us
5: Nice Do yeah. that uh,
0: I'm at At Lisa Best Comedy On Twitter uh, Lisa Best Comedy.com On the interwebs um, And tonight I will be uh, At the Doug Fur At 7 For Kyle Kinane and Friends yeah.
5: Excellent yeah.
4: Uh, my website is chrisryanphd.com. You can find everything there. If you haven't heard a story
3: on risk, listen to it when you're driving really late at night and you're scared about your entire life. Uh, you will. It'll make you pull over and lay on top of your car and look at the stars for a little while. Oh. Also, everyone get tested
0: for
5: ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: like guys, that was so awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, and do read, do read that book. There's so much in it that we didn't even have a chance to touch on. Um, thank you so much to all of our guests Uh, thank you Jesse who couldn't be here because he's up in Canada doing gigs Uh, that's our normal co-host thank you so much all of the staff and crew at Bridgetown and the Bossa Nova as well please give them a round of applause everyone who works at the venue on the sound and the lights and the door and makes this thing happen
2: um, and don't forget to visit iTunes.com slash Bridgetown For all the podcasts being recorded here this weekend And go to ProbablyScience.com To listen and subscribe
1: Yeah, subscribe on iTunes, you can email us
2: ProbablyScience at
1: gmail.com, you can tweet us at ProbablyScience. Once more, thank you so much To Chris Ryan, Lisa Best Caitlin Gill, Ivan Mack Kirshen Anyone. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much guys Thanks for coming
2: out Cheers. Happy Mother's Day <laughs>